extra service live with us. Maybe you haven't downloaded our app yet. You can download the app and you can do notes right on your app. And then also I want to let you know, uh, parents of any middle schoolers, we actually have a middle school service that takes place right now uh, during our second service. And so uh, it's actually just, if you go out the back doors, take a left, it's on the first corner there in the choir room. And so if that uh, appeals to you, you can start this week or next week or whatever. We'd love to have your middle schooler join Pastor Tony and Gina and the crew. Well, hey, uh, this has been such a great series, and I think God's been doing so much in all of us as we're all on different journeys in this. And we've been trying to answer this question. Uh, if you didn't know anything about faith, if you knew nothing about Jesus, if you knew nothing about the Bible, had never been to church, um, how would you start over in faith? What would that starting point look like for you? Because we've said that everybody had a starting point. And for many of us, that happened when we were a child. We were given a childhood faith, and we received it, and we believed it. And there was nothing wrong with that, right? With my kids, I didn't give them a book on world religions and just say, pick one, you know, and then just go with it. Uh, Didn't say that. No, we've been raising them to know and to follow Jesus. But when you become an adult, you need more than just a childhood faith, don't you? Um, There are some gaps that need to be filled in because what you're told as a child can't always hold up to the rigors of adulthood. And as a result, there are many people who have been left feeling stranded by religion having more questions than answers. And so during this series, we're asking this question, what would it look like to have an adult starting point of faith? That if I were to start over, how would I do it? And if you've missed any of the last six weeks, I would encourage you, go to riverwaychurch.com, listen online, and I hope that it will be an encouragement to you. Now today, I want to talk about an idea that is really at the core and the center of this series, but I've kind of danced around it a little bit and haven't addressed it directly. And it's this idea of faith. And we just got done watching a video about faith. Uh, What is faith? What is belief? And I'm going to use those terms interchangeably today. But more specifically, as this video is asking, does following Jesus require blind faith? Does it require a leap of faith into the dark? Is it just having faith in faith that we're just kind of, you know, throwing a dart somewhere and hoping it lands? Uh, Because truth be told, Faith or belief, I believe, may be the most confused, misused, and abused concepts in all of religion. And so I want to debunk some of the, the, the myths around this, uh, some of the mystery around it, and help explain it for you. Now, last week as we ended, I said today's topic would probably be the most disturbing message that I'm going to speak on in this whole series. And so as I'm talking about this, I would just encourage you to let me get to the end before you throw things at me or before you send me an email from your seat. Uh, Just kind of let me get through this because I want to talk about faith and I just want to strip it down to what it really is, uh, faith and belief. It may be not as spiritual or mystical as you think it is. And then I want to connect how uh, faith and belief intersect with religion. And so uh, the truth is, uh, faith isn't even a religious idea. Uh, Rather, you and I express faith all the time. We don't even realize it. Um, Every time you drive through an intersection on a green light, you have faith that the other cars aren't going to be coming through with you, right? Every single time. You have a belief that there are people smarter than you and I who have figured out how all the cars should work and how they should all operate, right? Uh, We use faith in everyday life. And so in a moment, I'm going to get to this idea of how religion and faith connect. But first, I want to make a few general truths about all faith and all belief. And we're not talking religious, just faith and believing, all right? And so here's the first general thought that I want to give you is this. It's your, next, it's your first fill-in. Uh, the ability 
to believe is the most powerful force mankind possesses. The ability to believe is the most powerful force mankind possesses. And it is an ability, right? If you own a dog, how many of you own a dog? Anybody own a dog, right? Um, Your dog doesn't dream about a better future, right? Your dog doesn't get together with you and discuss how things should be at home, right? Uh, They're just kind of going through the motions. Only humans have this ability to dream and believe and express faith. And it's an incredibly powerful tool at our disposal. In fact, uh, everything that's ever been accomplished in human history has happened because somebody believed it could happen. Somebody believed we could go to the moon, and we did. Everything started as an idea, and a person had faith, and that faith turned into words, and those words began to move other people to believe and have faith, and all of a sudden, before you know it, the world is changed. In fact, every challenge that's been overcome Every problem that's been solved, every breakthrough that's been developed has been because somebody first believed it was possible. How many of you are glad that someone believed that air conditioning was possible, right? I mean, right? I mean, August heat, you're thankful. How many of you are glad that somebody thought cell phones would be possible, right? I know you can't live without that. We can't. But even Jesus said that faith can move mountains, and it has. It's moved medical mountains. It's moved racial mountains, financial mountains, scientific mountains, political mountains. I mean, think about it. Our nation was once founded because a group of people in the 1700s believed in something. You know what they believed? They believed that all men were created equal, that they had a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They believed it, and their faith that a better government and better country was possible caused them to rally people with their words and eventually rally people to fight against the British at extraordinary odds, and they prevailed. Country founded. And then in the 1800s, some people believed that states' rights should trump other rights. Others believed that these rights should come from a strong federal government, Some believed this was best for the economy. Some truly believed it'd be horrible for the economy. Some believed that slavery was moral. Others believed it was an abomination and could and should be eradicated forever. And those beliefs on two different sides led people to use their words to rally people together to form a belief and a faith that things should be different. And they argued so much that finally one side said, we've had it, we're going to go get our guns. And the other side, well, we'll go get our guns too. And we'll meet you in the field. And suddenly, a civil war was on our hands and more than 600,000 people died because of it. It's faith and belief. It's a powerful thing. Faith and belief is what launched and sustained the civil rights movement. Faith is what fueled Martin Luther King Jr. to rally people and convince them that the present did not have to be the future. In spite of unspeakable evil being done, King said, we will not respond with violence. We will keep doing the right thing and we will believe in the end that good will triumph over evil. Faith is what 
He shared on that historic day when he said, I have a dream that one day my four children will live in a country where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And the faith expressed in those words and many others ignited a change in our country that is still changing our country today. That is the power of faith. That is the power of believing in something. And it's unlike anything else humans possess. It's behind everything good we've ever done. It's behind everything bad we've ever done. Because when we believe in something deeply, we will look for a way to make it happen and we don't stop until we find it. Here's the second observation about faith in your next fill-in. That we constantly look for evidence to support what we believe is true. Okay, I'm just going to get really real with you about faith and belief. We constantly look for evidence to support what we believe is true. And this is particularly true of the Republicans and the Democrats. I had you nervous there for a moment. And the Independents. Right? doesn't matter what political affiliation you are. It's why you only watch one news channel. Right? Because we look for evidence to support what we believe is true. We only watch CNN or only Fox News or only MSNBC because we agree with what we hear. And if you happen to accidentally catch something on another channel that you disagree with, we don't listen and try to learn from it. No, no, no. We just... Shut it out. We change the channel. And religious people do this too. Southern Baptists aren't hanging out with the Methodists, are they? Right? The Catholics aren't hanging out with the Presbyterians. Why? Because we're constantly looking for evidence to support what we believe is true. And once we're sure, then we start filtering out any evidence we hear to the contrary. We avoid anything that challenges our beliefs And this is what makes faith and belief both powerful and dangerous at the same time. So here's the third observation about faith and belief. That belief is easy to maintain within a shared community of beliefs. Belief is easy to maintain within a shared community of beliefs. In other words, once you figure out what you believe, what do we do? We surround ourselves with people that believe the same thing, don't we? Right? We surround ourselves, and now a whole group can begin to enter in evidence of things that will support what we believe is true, and we can filter out all the things that contradict with what we believe is true. I mean, group think is powerful. Group think is powerful. It's why rich people tend to think alike. And poor people tend to think alike. And if you go through any of our society, anywhere you see a large group of people believing the same things, believing the same way, it's a powerful thing. And that is why there are so many religions, right? So let's talk about religions for a moment. This is where things get a little dicey, all right? You with me? Everybody say, I'm with you. All right, here we go. Next fill-in. Religious belief is simply belief applied to things of a religious nature. Religious belief is simply belief applied to things of a religious nature. Now, if you're a Christian, you may not agree with me for a moment, but hang on here. Uh, Religious faith 
doesn't have any special power different than any other belief or faith. It is powerful because belief is powerful. It's powerful because faith is powerful. But it's not supernaturally powerful in some way in and of itself. It's our human ability to possess faith and belief that makes it powerful. And when it's attached to religion, it becomes powerful in and of itself. There's nothing pure about religious faith. Think of all the religious things that have been done in the name of religion, in the name of God, that have been horrible atrocities in our history. But rather, I would argue that religious faith is built upon a foundation of believe that's. Religious faith is built upon a foundation of believe that's. In other words, this. I believe that God answers prayer. I believe that. And you pick any religion you want and you'll find that every religion is built upon a foundation of believe that's. In fact, the Muslims, they believe that. The angel Gabriel showed up to Muhammad in a cave and gave him sacred revelations. Mormons believe that the angel Moroni showed up to Joseph Smith in western New York and gave him sacred texts. Jews believe that God showed up to Abraham in the Middle East and led him to the land of Israel. And Christians believe that Jesus was the Son of God who died for the sins of the whole world. Everybody in every religion has believe that. And it's the foundation for their faith. Now here's the disturbing part about all of this. Don't throw anything. Next villain. If you believe deeply enough in any religious system, it will become a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you believe deeply enough in any religious system, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And it's true of any religion. You find someone with enough, who has enough strong faith, has enough personality, you put a microphone on their mouth, and suddenly they can persuade large groups of people to do lots of different things. And when you gather support, you filter out what you say doesn't fit, you only welcome the things that fit, suddenly you have a religious movement. Think about Hitler. Strong personality. A belief in something and a loud enough voice and with his words, he turned an entire nation against itself and ended up wiping out six million Jews. Why? Because faith and belief is a powerful thing. And given the right platform with a loud enough voice and you can persuade people to do things that they formally would have said I would have never done. So maybe, just maybe then, you can pick any religion and just start believing what they believe and over time, you will convince yourself it's true. And after all, studies show that religious people are happier people. And so maybe if you just go pick any religion, we'll all just be happier, right? What's that song? Don't stop believing just got to hold on to the feet, right? Just hold on to it. doesn't matter what it is. Just hold on to any religion. 
Don't stop believing. Don't stop having faith, right? All roads lead to God, don't they? I mean, that's what we're told in our culture. Now, some of you are just a tiny bit nervous, wondering if I really believe everything I just said. And the answer is yes. That there's no other side to this coin. That faith and belief are a powerful thing. So then, if that is true, how do you know that what you believe in is true? How do you know if Christianity is true? I mean, maybe it's just a big Jedi mind trick, right? Some of you are wondering, is he still a Christian? I am, I promise, all right? And let me just take the next few minutes to explain to you why I am a Christian and why I am a follower of Jesus. And maybe if you're on a journey of faith, maybe this, something that I say today will resonate with you on your journey and it will help. Here's why. Your next feeling. You see, this is so big. When Jesus died, all of his closest friends believed that he was dead and stopped believing he was who they thought he was. When Jesus died, all of his close friends, his followers, the disciples that have spent three years with him, they stopped believing. They saw him die on that cross and be put in that tomb. And they decided that he had been killed because he said the wrong things. That he was nothing more than a powerful speaker. You see, after Jesus died, none of them believed that he was the Son of God. So you know what they did? These people who had followed Jesus, they gave up. And they fled. Afraid for their lives, they hid away because they thought if they killed Jesus, they're coming for his followers next they gave up hope. They stopped following Jesus. And here's why this is so important. And if you haven't heard anything, hear this, because if you miss this, you're going to miss it all. They gave up faith in Jesus and walked away. And here's why this is important. Because that is not how religious movements get started. It's not how it happens. Go back through history. Go back through every religious movement. You'll find that when Gandhi died, the followers of Gandhi said, we don't want his teachings to die with him. So they went around and spread his teachings, getting people to revere him. When Muhammad died, his followers said, we've got to take the teachings of Islam and copy them and spread them and teach them to others. We've got to keep this thing going. And this is what happens across the board with all religious leaders who found religious movements except Jesus. When Jesus died, none of his followers put together a plan to spread his teachings. You know why? Because Jesus did not come primarily to introduce good principles to the world. 
He was not introduced, and he did not introduce himself as a good teacher sent from God. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be the son of God. And these friends of his, these followers of his, thought it was true until his death. Because God does not get crucified on a Roman cross. And God does not get put in a borrowed tomb. These people who knew him best were sure he was dead and he would stay that way. So they had no interest in spreading his message any further. They were embarrassed. They were afraid. He clearly is not who he claimed to be. It was the end. They lost all faith. And this is why I follow Jesus. Because just a few weeks later, these same group, the same group of cowardly men who ran for the hills when Jesus was arrested, I mean, come on, this is Peter, who when a middle school girl asked him, do you know Jesus, you're one of his followers, he said, I don't know the man three times. And the rooster crowed. This same Peter, along with all of his buddies, completely bailed on Jesus. But it's so fascinating. Just a few weeks later, your next villain, these same cowards who previously ran away stood and preached about Jesus. What could cause that? But what could cause that to happen? That the men who previously ran away and hid for their lives are suddenly out in the public forum preaching about Jesus. And here's what's so interesting. They didn't preach about Jesus' teachings. They didn't retell his parables and say, now this is a good story you guys need to listen to. You know what they said? These former cowards had a four-point message that they began to tell over and over and over again because it defined their life. And here's what the disciples shared, and it's the next fill in your notes. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now say you're sorry. I mean, that was their message. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him with our own eyes, alive. Now you should say you're sorry. And they were saying this to people, the very people who had Jesus crucified. They would say, John, John, I see you in the back. You see, I see you in the back there. You are calling for Barabbas. When Pilate said, do you want Jesus or Barabbas? You were saying, crucify him. All you Pharisee, all of you religious leaders, you were there too, crying out for him to be crucified. Hey, Annas and Caiaphas, you guys were the high priest behind the whole conspiracy. You killed him. And God raised him. And we've seen him. 
And I know we didn't believe it was true either. But we've seen them alive. And our recommendation is that you should say you're sorry. This was their entire message. They didn't talk about what Jesus taught. They only talked about what they had seen with their own eyes. Jesus alive from the dead. And these guys who just weeks before, I mean just a couple Mondays before, had hit the unfollow button and abandoned Jesus are now risking their lives. And most of them would give their lives because they wouldn't stop sharing about Jesus. Now, over the course of time, there are many people who give their lives for things they believe in. We had men that flew airplanes into buildings because they had a belief and a faith. But when these disciples gave their lives, it was completely different. You see, your next fill-in, many people die for their beliefs, but these guys died because they wouldn't stop talking about what they had seen what they had seen and what they had heard from eyewitnesses all over the place. Matter of fact, when the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they heard this message, you know what they did? They had Peter and John arrested and thrown into jail. And they bring them before the ruling religious leaders. Now, here's the interesting part. They're in jail, and their fate rests in the hands of the same group of men that crucified Jesus. The very thing they ran and hid for, they're now willingly walking into. You know what they do? You know what Peter and John do? They look at the council of men and they say, you killed him. God raised him. We've seen him alive. Now you should say you're sorry. That's what they said to these men. Even though they knew it might cost them their lives, how do you explain that? How do you explain it? So you know what these religious rulers did? They threatened them. They demand that they stop talking about Jesus. And here's how Peter and John reply. Now remember, this is the same Peter who just two Mondays ago could not admit that he knew Jesus to a middle school girl. Do you know what they said to them? Acts 4, 19 through 20. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have, what? Seen and heard. We cannot help it. We cannot help but spread this message to all who will listen, not about the teachings of Jesus and not about his parables, but about what we 
have seen with our own eyes and heard with our own ears. Amazing. And if you remember all the way back to week one, we talked about what Paul said in Athens when he was talking about Jesus to the Athenians. Do you remember that? When they had the millions of altars and they had the one altar that said to an unknown God and Paul said, I want you to know that you can now know this unknown God can become known to you. Paul didn't walk in and say, let me tell you about some beliefs that you should follow. No. He said, Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God is like. And I know you find this hard to believe, but God gave us Proof. You don't have to have blind faith. You don't have to have faith in faith. But Paul said in Acts 17.3, God has given proof of this to everyone by raising Jesus from the dead. Do you know why Christianity survived the first century? Do you know why I follow Jesus? Do you know why I think you should seriously explore a relationship with Jesus yourself? Because when Jesus died, he had zero followers. Not a one. They had all abandoned him. And after the fact, none of them even try to make themselves out to be heroes. I mean, as they're writing these eyewitness accounts, they're not saying, well, I kind of knew the whole time. I mean, I was just kind of hiding out because the rest of the guys wanted to hide out. But, uh, you know, down deep, I really knew that Jesus was the Son of God. They never write like that. And if you're trying to make up a story, you make it heroic. You don't make yourself out to be a coward. And it's exactly what they said. We were cowards and we unfollowed him. In their own accounts, they say we gave up on him. But then we saw something. We, we saw a man who had previously endured the most horrific death anyone could ever endure talking to us and walking with us. And for 40 days, we did life with him. And hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses will tell you the same thing. You see, they didn't believe something that's way too easy. They saw something. And because they saw something, they did a 180 overnight and it changed the rest of their lives. So if I'm being honest, the foundation of my faith is not the teachings of Jesus, although they are wonderful. But rather, your last villain, Christian faith is in the verifiable, fully examinable proof that Jesus rose from the dead. 
And the church doesn't exist today because of Jesus' teachings. It exists because of an event. It exists because Jesus was dead and he rose again. The church exists because of the resurrection. I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible says so. I believe it because Matthew was there and he wrote about it to tell us. I believe it because Peter, who ran for his life and couldn't stand up to a middle school girl, said, I saw him. In fact, I had breakfast on the beach with him. And it changed my life. And James, the brother of Jesus, I've asked you before, what would your brother have to do to convince you that they were the son of God? And your response would be, nothing. Nothing short of a miracle like a resurrection. James, Jesus' own brother, did not believe that he was the son of God until James saw his brother alive. And in that moment, Jesus was no longer just his brother. James says, this is now my Lord and Savior. And John claimed it was true. And Luke, being an investigator, said, I wanted to write an orderly account. I wanted to go and investigate this thing fully. And he verified with the eyewitnesses over and over again. And Matthew and Peter and James and John and Andrew and Paul and Philip, all of these guys did not follow Jesus because of his teachings. They followed him because of a single event that changed their lives forever. So what we talked about in week one is still true and is the fundamental question you have to wrestle with when it comes to faith and belief and religion. And it's answering this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Because a single event changed how those closest to him answered that question. So why do I have confidence that God hears my prayers when I pray? Because Jesus told me I can. And why do I have confidence that I can call him my heavenly father? Because Jesus said when you pray, you can pray, our Father who is in heaven. Speaking of heaven, why do I believe that when I die, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven? Because Jesus said, I'm leaving to go prepare a place for you. Why do I have confidence that God is for me and with me? Why do I have confidence that God loves me and accepts me unconditionally? Why do I have confidence that God offers to forgive me and forever adopt me into his family? I'll tell you why. It's not because the Bible says so. It's way better than that. It's because Jesus said so. And when a man predicts his own death and resurrection and pulls it off and then leaves proof for all of us to believe, 
that I can trust in anything he tells us. That's why I believe in Jesus. Because the eyewitnesses were there and wrote all about it. And God, by his grace and mercy, has preserved those letters for 2,000 years. And now we get to read of their eyewitness accounts, not about what they believe, not a story, not a parable, but about what they have seen and heard. It's all about trusting the proof. And you will have to decide what you're going to do with the evidence that God has given us. So if you've been on a journey of faith, and maybe you've never yet decided to put your faith in Jesus, maybe today would be your day. Or maybe you're still on a journey. You say, man, I'm not ready to fully go in on faith in Jesus. But I'll be on this journey. Maybe your prayer today could be, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And for those of you that feel the pressure that you've got to change everything before God will accept you, I just tell you it's not true. Our only job is to start following Jesus. You don't need to change a thing. But I can promise you this, once you start following Jesus, a whole lot will change in your life. It's exactly what he does. And he wants it for us. So I want to close today just with some prayer. So would you mind just closing your eyes all over this room? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that for more than 2,000 years, you have preserved the words of these eyewitnesses who thought you were dead and saw you alive. Thank you, God, for wanting to know us, for having relationship with us, and that you haven't called us to a blind faith, but rather you've given us this proof to build our whole life upon this one event, the resurrection of your Son. Thank you in his resurrection we can find forgiveness and life to the fullest and so we receive it God we receive your love we receive your grace we receive the kind of faith that strengthens us to believe